Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well as we come down the home stretch today of chapter 3 in the epistle of 1 John. As this morning we will be looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Now John is going to take a slight detour today in helping his Christian readers deal with what is known as a condemning heart. However, this slight detour or deviation, if you will, it still flows naturally within the overall context of 1 John. As John is still doing what he set out to do, that being to reassure his Christian readers that they do in fact possess the gift of eternal life. His Christian readers, mind you, who were under theological attack as false teachers or the individuals who had left the church were hurling heresies at John's Christian readers. Heresies like Jesus really isn't the Christ, the Son of God, or that the shedding of Jesus' blood wasn't necessary for the cleansing of sin. Thus, in light of these false teachings bombarding the church, John continues to reassure his Christian readers that their eternal status is secure. And he does that today by linking it to what he wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, where he made it clear to his readers that there are only two prototypes out there that one can follow. There is Cain, who was of the evil one, and who hated and who murdered his brother, and there is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved and who gave his life up as a ransom for many. Thus it is obvious, church, that those who hate, they are of Cain, for they are still of the evil one, still of the world, and still dead in their sin. However, those who love, they are of Jesus Christ, for they have obviously passed out of death into life and now have God's love abiding in them. And they now practice the love of Jesus Christ because Jesus, verse 16, he laid down his life for us. Thus, since Jesus Christ loved us by dying on a cross, so so too then we, as Christians, verse 18, should love each other not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And thus John closes chapter 3 this morning by noting that the Christian, or the one who possesses genuine and Christ-like love in their hearts and who naturally loves in deed and in truth, they they have assurance that their salvation is secure. Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or the overall theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, your love for others will offer you assurance that your salvation is secure, and thus you can go confidently to God in prayer. Christian, your love for others will offer you assurance that your salvation is secure, and thus you can go confidently to God in prayer. And as for our text today, again, it is 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. And let me just encourage everyone here this morning to open up their Bibles and to follow along with the text. And if you do not have a Bible, that is okay because there is one with your name on it located in the chairs in front of you, as that is our gift to you this morning. The only thing we ask is that you read it, starting today, right now, by turning to page 1022 and following along in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. 
For the Apostle John, he writes, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you quiet our heart and our minds this morning as we take, out, take a step out of the chaos that is this world right now. And we worship you, Father, as one body, as the church. Father, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, children of the Most High God, and we have assurance that we have eternal life through the mediator that is Jesus Christ. Father, let our confidence fall on Christ this morning. We can come here to the, this morning feeling lots of different things, but what we are feeling internally has no impact, no effect on who you are, God, what you have done, and what our future has in store. For the future, for the Christian, it includes salvation with our God. Let us cling to that this morning. Father, I pray that you open the ears and the eyes and soften the hearts of this dear flock this morning. Father, I pray that you give me the words to speak, that they be clear, humble, and they speak truth to this dear flock, this dear church this morning. That these are words that build up our confidence in you. There are times where our heart will condemn us. But you are omniscient, God. You know all of our sins and have still, still saved us. Let our confidence be fixed in that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. Christian loving others in a Christ-like manner reassures our hearts that we are truly saved. Christian loving others in a Christ-like manner reassures our hearts that we are truly saved. Verses 19 and 20. It says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So John opens verse 19 with, By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And what John is doing here is actually pointing his readers back to verses 11 through 18. And in essence saying, this is how we know that we are of the truth. This is how we know that we are the children of God. This is how we know that God's love abides in us. Because we no longer hate like the world, but instead we love each other just as Jesus loved us. Not in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. 
Thus, because our lives exhibit that we truly do love each other, we then can be confident and have certainty. In verse 19, reassure our hearts that we have truly been saved, truly been born of God, and are now truly his children. Because who else is going to jump at the opportunity to give financially to their brother in need? Who else is going to joyfully sacrifice their warm bed for their sister who just lost her house? Who else is going to give up their shirt or their jacket or their meal to a friend who is cold and hungry and not expect anything back in return? The answer, only the Christian. Only those who have experienced the divine, sacrificial, redeeming love of Jesus Christ. And thus, when the Christian does love others, genuinely and indeed and in truth, it should give them assurance that their salvation is secure. Now, this assurance of eternal life, this assurance that one's salvation is secure and fixed and sure, it is essential right now. Because we are living at a time, to be frank, where spiritual warfare, it is evident And honestly, at times, it can be downright ruthless. And thus, there are times, even for the Christian, verse 20, when our hearts will condemn us. When our conscience will say to us that we're not really saved. That our salvation really isn't secure. That we're not really possessing the gift of eternal life. Now, before I go on, I do want to make a quick point here. Our conscience, Christian... It is a good thing, because since we now have a heart of flesh and no longer a heart of stone, our conscience, it actually acts as a moral compass for us. You see, church, since we have received Jesus Christ and submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ and are growing daily in obedience to Jesus Christ, our conscience then, as David Allen put it, develops a sharp sense of sin. And thus we see sin in things that we did not see sin in before. So our consciences, church, they are a good thing and they are a gift from God. However, our consciences, they are not perfect. They are not infallible and they are not flawless. Thus even for the Christian... Even for the one who knows and believes and trusts that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That Jesus was raised for our justification and that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Even for the Christian who knows these truths, believes in these truths, and who has placed their trust in these eternal, non-changing, always and forever truths, at times a Christian's heart It can condemn them. And thoughts of insecurity, thoughts of uncertainty, and thoughts of doubt can creep into their minds concerning their eternal salvation. Therefore, a number of commentators here have painted this text as if it were a personal or internal court scene where the heart or the conscience actually acts as the prosecutor and condemns the Christian for their actions. Saying things to the Christian like, Wes, you can't really be saved. For no Christian would actually yell at their children like you did today. No Christian would ignore their wife's countless attempts at conversation like you did last evening. No Christian would gossip about their neighbors, covet their friend's iPad, or become jealous of someone else like you did last week. And these thoughts, church, they begin to eat at you. 
And worse yet, you start to believe them that in fact you might really be unsavable, unredeemable, and unjustifiable, and that your salvation really isn't secure in Jesus Christ. And this psychological and internal and all-from-within type struggle, oh, it can be downright crippling and gut-wrenching and disheartening and debilitating at times for the Christian. Christian surgeon Dr. Paul Brand commented on the phenomenon of the condemning heart this way. He said, amputees can often experience a sensation called phantom limb syndrome meaning that locked in their brains can be the distant memory of their non-existent hand or leg. For example, invisible toes curl, imaginary hands grasp, and an amputated leg can feel so sturdy that a person might again try to stand on it. However, for a few, this syndrome can also lead to excruciating pain. Dr. Brand noted that one patient who experienced this type of pain was his administrator, Mr. Barwick who had a serious and painful circulation problem in his leg. However, he refused the recommended amputation. But as the pain grew worse, Mr. Barwick finally relented and told the doctor, I can't stand it anymore. I'm through with that leg. Cut it off. The surgery was scheduled. However, before the operation, Mr. Barwick asked for his leg to be preserved in a pickling jar. I want to place it on my mantle, he said, Then as I sit in my armchair, I will taunt that leg since it can't hurt me anymore. And ultimately, Mr. Barwick got his wish. However, the despised leg got the last laugh as Mr. Barwick suffered from excruciating phantom limb pain. For he had hated that leg with such intensity that the pain he previously felt had lodged its way permanently into his brain. Dr. Brand concluded that the pain of the phantom limb provides a wonderful insight into the phenomenon of a condemning heart. For Christians can become so obsessed by the memory of some sin that they had committed years ago that it never leaves them. And worse yet, it cripples their ministry, cripples their devotional lives, and cripples their relationship with others. And thus, what is the only way that we as Christians do not end up like Mr. Barwick shaking our fist in fury at our pickled leg, all while dealing with the excruciating pain of a condemning heart? Well, we must remind ourselves, Christian, verse 20, that God is greater than our heart and that he knows everything. That our God, that he is omniscient. That he doesn't need to learn anything more about you, Christian. He doesn't need to ask anyone anything about you. He doesn't need to look up anything about you because he already knows everything about you. Therefore, you can rest in the fact, Christian, that our God, he knows his own. For the good shepherd, he knows his sheep. Thus, he not only knows precisely whom he has saved, but he also knows every one of their weaknesses, every one of their troubles, every one of their doubts, insecurities, hesitations, and fears. For God knows every sin that we have committed, that we are being tempted to commit, and will ever commit. For our God, he cannot learn anything new. And he knows, and he knows that, Christian, and you know that, Christian. And in love, he died for you. In love, he still saved you. And in love, he is still merciful and gracious to you, and will never leave you or forsake you, turn from you or reject you, denounce you or 
condemn you. For there is therefore, Christian, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Christian, when you are feeling overwhelmed with a heart that out of nowhere hits you with the type of condemnation that paralyzes you, that keeps you up at night, that is a burden on your chest that you don't think you can bear, all due to some type of foolish sin that you committed in the past. In those instances, Christian, remember that our God, he is omniscient, that from eternity past, he already knew every sin that you would ever commit, and you know what? He still died for you on a cross and saved you from each and every one of those sins. Thus, Christian, do not let your heart or your conscience or your feelings dictate to you the assurance of your salvation. Let the word of God do that. For the word of God says that if you, Christian, love others in deed and in truth, that if you love others in a genuine, Christ-like, sacrificial manner, that is evidence, that is proof, that is all the verification that you need to know that you are no longer of the world and no longer stand in condemnation before God, but that you now stand in Jesus Christ and are assured the gift of eternal life no matter what your condemning heart says. Which takes us to point number two. Christian assurance of your status as a child of the Most High God, it will naturally lead to a confident prayer life. Christian assurance of your status as a child of the Most High God, it will naturally lead to a confident prayer life. Verses 21 through 23. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. You see, church, when we trust God for who he is and what he has revealed to us in his very word, we realize then that our assurance of eternal life, it is not based on how we feel. Now, this might come as a surprise to a lot of Christians out there who base the foundation of their faith or the assurance of their faith on how they feel. However, as Gary Burge put it, our assurance, Christian, is anchored in God and in God alone, never in our ability to generate feelings of confidence. Thus, whether you feel secure about your salvation or troubled, whether you feel sure about your standing as a child of God or shaky, whether you feel calm and clear and confident about the gift that is eternal life, or you are struggling with skepticism and confusion and doubt, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation, and you now see gospel fruit of loving others in deed and in truth, then you can rest assured, Christian, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rule nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that truth, Christian, that has not changed, it does not change, and it will never, ever, ever change. And thus, when you let God's word determine and dictate and direct your confidence and your assurance of eternal life and not how you whimsically feel... Then verse 21, our heart does not condemn us, but instead we have confidence before God. 
For we know that we have been justified by faith, and we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, Romans 5. Therefore, when we go to God in prayer and we call on his name, we do not need to be anxious about it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we can bring our request before God, Philippians 4. Because when we pray, church, our God, he hears us. For Psalm 34 says that when the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears them and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. However, not only does the Lord hear us, Christian, but John says in verse 22 that whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, this verse can be a little confusing because at face value, it almost sounds like if we keep God's commandments and simply do what pleases him, then God is on the hook to give us whatever we ask for. However, as discerning Christians, we know that is not the case, for we cannot manipulate our God. Thus, what exactly is the Apostle John communicating here? Well, quite simply, he's saying that Christians who keep the commandments of God and who conduct themselves in a way that pleases God, they will then also pray in a way that is pleasing to God meaning they will naturally pray in a way that is according to and seeks the will of God. Jesus exemplified this when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. For he said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew 26. And by praying according to the will of God, Christians then will naturally seek above all else for God to be glorified. Since we were bought with a price, we are to glorify God in our bodies, 1 Corinthians 6. And whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10. Thus the children of God, they are not going to begrudgingly keep the commandments of God, only so that they can manipulate God into giving them things outside or counter to his will. Instead, the children of God, who know their salvation is secure, who joyfully and obedient keep the commandments of God and seek what pleases him in all that they do, they confidently pray in that same vein. And they receive what they ask for since it is according to the good and perfect will of God and for his glory. For our God, church, he loves to give good gifts to his children. For example, the parents of the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, were not Baptists. However, after Spurgeon was saved, his mother said to him, Ah, Charles, I often prayed that the Lord would make you a Christian, but I never asked him that you might become a Baptist. To which Spurgeon replied, Ah, mother, the Lord has answered your prayer with his usual bounty and given you exceedingly and abundantly more than you could have ever asked or thought. Church, we know God does not listen to sinners. But he does listen to the one who worships him and does his will, John 9, 31. And it is for that reason, church, that John confidently claims here that the children of God, 
that those who joyfully keep God's commandments and who live and who walk and who pray in a way that please him, they can be confident that God will bless them by hearing and answering their prayers. For we are, as Daniel Aiken put it, a trusting child coming to their loving father, one who knows all of their sins and all of their imperfections and yet still loves them and accepts them in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what exactly are the commandments that the children of God love to fulfill so that they can go to their father, God, with confidence, knowing that he will hear and answer their prayers? What else, church? Verse 23. This is his commandment. This is God's commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. That we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Meaning, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We believe that Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh. And we believe that it is only through faith in his perfect life, death, and resurrection that one can be forgiven of their sins, clothed in his righteousness, and reconciled back to God forever. And because of our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 23, we now love one another just as Christ commanded us. For that is the Christian life encapsulated right there, church. Trust in Jesus Christ and love people. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Galatians 5, 6. Thus, if you see that in your life, Christian, a faith in Christ and a love for people, oh, let it be a balm to your soul this morning, for that is the silencing of a condemning heart, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a confidence that when the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. Oh, it is the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. For our faith and our love, church, they will reveal our eternal destination. Thus, to see a faith in Jesus Christ and a love for others, it is assurance that you are saved. It is confidence that God will hear and answer your prayers, and it is certainty that eternal salvation is secure in the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, as we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who was here first. Non-Christian, one of John's goals this morning was to offer a word of relief for those who possess a condemning heart. To offer some reassurance, some peace, some certainty to those who wrestle with the sting of past sins committed. The uneasiness of past laws violated and the shame of past immoralities lived. However, it is a word of relief that John can only offer to those who believe in the name of the Son. In Jesus Christ. Because those who are outside of Jesus Christ and who live according to the flesh, non-Christian, they eternally perish. And they eternally perish because of the past sins they committed, the past laws they violated, and the past immoralities they have lived. However, non-Christian, there is another way. For there is a narrow gate... Now, the way is hard, and those who find it are few, but it does lead to the forgiveness of sins and to eternal life. However, it only comes through placing your faith in the Son, in Jesus Christ, in God himself, who came into this world born of a woman and born under the law as well. 
And thus, because Jesus Christ was born under the law, he was then required to keep it, which is exactly what Jesus Christ did. For Jesus Christ, he lived, that, uh, lived a life that was without sin, without transgression, and without any evil. And thus, he perfectly fulfilled the law of God for the children of God. But non-Christian, that is not all that Jesus Christ did for you. Because Jesus Christ, he also paid the price for your breaking of the law. Meaning he bore the penalty that you deserve for your sin. That I deserve for my sin. That all of God's children deserve for their sins. And thus, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he willingly stepped in as our substitute. As a perfect, sinless, and spotless sacrifice. And was nailed to a cross in our place. And was crucified, died, and was buried as the propitiation for our sins. But non-Christian in doing so, Jesus Christ became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Because three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, displaying to the world that he had defeated sin, that he had defeated death, and that he now offers to those who believe in his name the only means of eternal salvation. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sins. Let today be the day that you repent of your sins and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins, the only one who paid the price of your sins, who died for your sins, who can clothe you in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. And today will be the day, non-Christian, that you receive the gift of eternal life. For he who believes is no longer condemned, but now stands justified by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus believe in the name of Jesus Christ, non-Christian, and you can leave here today certain and confident and assured that you are now and forevermore eternally saved. And to the Christian who is here today, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, what a week it has been. I mean, it is not every week that you have to explain to your six-year-old and your three-year-old son while snuggling on the couch why people are not listening to the police officers and breaking into the Capitol building. Now, I will admit that in that moment, as we watched together the coverage on TV, that although I was being strong in the presence of my boys... Fear was making its presence felt inside of me. For in that moment, honestly, I was worried and uneasy and nervous about what the future held. And as I was venting my anxieties and my concerns and my fears about the future to my wife that evening, I think at some point she simply had enough of my venting because she said to me rather confidently, it is a good thing that Christ is still on the throne. And that is why you marry a wife godlier and smarter than you, gentlemen. Because this couldn't be more true, church. For Christ is still reigning, still ruling, and still sovereignly prevailing from his throne. Thus, no matter what is going on in the here and now, down here on earth, our future Christian, it is not shaky. It is not insecure. It is not something we need to fret about. Because for the Christian, our future, it is certain, it is secure, for our future holds the assurance of eternal life. 
Now to bring this all full circle, John closes chapter 3 this way, Christian. Verse 24, he writes, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Meaning that those who keep the commandments of God and who abide in God, God is abiding in them. Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. John 15. However, how is it that God abides in us? Verse 24. By the Spirit whom he has given us. By the Holy Spirit whom God has freely and openly and willingly given to his children. Now what's taking place here is that John is taking all that's been written throughout the first three chapters of his epistle. And as John Stott put it, unites it all here for his readers in verse 24. To reassure reassure them that their salvation, that their gift of eternal life, that their future, that it remains secure. Thus, if you are sitting there this morning, Christian, and you, like some of John's original readers, are struggling with a condemning heart, struggling with a guilty conscience, struggling with questions about your salvation, then this conclusion is for you. However, you may be also sitting here this morning, Christian, simply struggling with everything that is taking place in the world. The political upheaval, the animosity, the hate, and honestly just feeling uncertain and nervous and fearful about what the future has in store. Thus, if either of those are you this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, let me encourage you this way. Because no matter what you are feeling this morning, or how you are feeling this morning. You, Christian, have been given a gift. And that gift, verse 24, is the Spirit. And he now dwells in you. And because he dwells in you, you can now believe wholeheartedly in the Son, in Jesus Christ. You can now love others just as Jesus Christ loved you. And please understand this, Christian, because that, that is not natural. For the dead man, he doesn't believe, and the corpse, he doesn't love. Thus, if you are sitting here this morning, and you believe in the Son, in Jesus Christ, and you genuinely love others, then please realize there's something special going on inside of you. There's something supernatural going on inside of you, for you are not who you once were, but you have been washed and sanctified and just in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And that Spirit, Christian, is a balm of assurance for any season of doubt and any season of uncertainty. For it is impossible for the dead to confess Jesus Christ. It is impossible for the dead to love others like Jesus Christ. However, it is not impossible for you, Christian. Why? Because you are not dead, but instead you are alive in Jesus Christ. Thus put your heart at ease this morning, Christian. Tell your mind to fear not, for you see the evidence that displays that indeed you are a child of the Most High God. Thus no matter what is taking place around you, no matter what you hear people say, no matter what you see on TV, no matter what you read on social media, you Christian, you know how the story ends. For your story, it ends with eternal life in Jesus Christ. Thus rest in that this morning, Christian, for that is what your future beholds. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body rest in the assurance of eternal life with Jesus Christ.
Lord, the world, it is crazy out there. People are hating each other. People are hurting each other. People are attacking each other. For the world is acting just like the world. Thus, let us not fall into the trap of doubting your goodness, God, questioning your sovereignty, and fearing what our future has in store. Instead, let us be quick to remind ourselves, God, that you are omniscient that you know everything and yet still sent your son Jesus Christ into this world to save it. For that is where our confidence lies. That is where our assurance is placed and that is where our certainty remains. Thus, it does not matter how we feel. It does not matter what people say. It does not matter what we see on TV. What matters is your testimony, God. And you have said that when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation and believed in Jesus Christ, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Thus, let us hold fast to this confession until our faith becomes sight, for we know what the future holds for the Christian, eternity with a sovereign and holy and gracious God. Let's pray. Spirit, Lord, we pray that you be a balm to our hearts this morning. Calm our minds this morning. Not in the house that we have, not in the follows we have on social media or the car that we drive or the job that we possess or the paycheck that comes in. Calm our minds and our hearts in Christ. The dead man cannot believe. The dead man cannot love others. Only those who have been born in Jesus Christ, reborn in Jesus Christ, can have faith. Lord, let that evidence that we see in our life, that we confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that we have genuine love dwelling in our heart and we seek to love others as Christ loved us. Let that be the evidence we need during these uncertain times to know where we will end up 10,000 years from now. We will be in the presence of a God who is sovereign, who is holy, and who is gracious, and who has saved us. Let us rest in that this morning, to continue to believe Jesus Christ no matter what the world is saying, to continue to love others, to showcase the light of Christ to this world that desperately needs it, and hold fast to the confession of our faith. To God be the glory forever and ever.